Our sermon passage for today is in Isaiah 52, verses 13, all the way through 53. Behold, my servant shall act wisely, and he shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that's what, that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they have made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. If you haven't already, please take your Bible, turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 52. As Bill said earlier, this is, we are joining Christians around the world, remembering Holy Week. That's the week in the life of Jesus that began with him entering Jerusalem to the coronation of a king and, and ended with him having risen from the dead. So how many of you feel like you were just here seven days ago? It feels like an instant, like time flies, right? Imagine the history of eternity being turned on its head in seven days. Because that's effectively what happened. This Holy Week began, again, as Bill was telling us, by Jesus, the Son of God, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people are doing two things. They're shouting the word Hosanna, which means God saves. And they're laying palm branches on the ground as an act of reverence and worship so that his donkey can walk upon them. Now the sad reality about this story is that at the end of Friday, Jesus is dead, rejected by those who worshipped him, lying in a tomb, and most of them are probably, if I can embellish the scripture just a hair, holding their palm branches and wondering 
thought he was the one. Thought he was the one. You see, they were left wondering because they were looking for the wrong thing from their Messiah. They were looking for power. They were looking to be honored in the present. They believed Caesar was their problem. They believed they needed a new earthly king. And the reality from the scripture is that Caesar wasn't the problem, he was the symptom. The problem was the sin of the people. The problem was their rebellion against God. The problem was their rejection of his word and his promises. And they didn't need an earthly king. They needed a savior and a deliverer. If you're visiting today, we're going to the deep end. I don't do smiley well anyway, but today I'm not even going to try. And here's why. Because I love you. Here's why. Because I'll tell you what keeps me awake at night. What keeps me awake at night is thinking about this church and all you dear souls that God has brought here and you parting this earth having missed the point. That's what keeps me awake at night. God has not done what God's done here so that we can have buildings and more services and more classes and two full classes and more community groups and more events and more fun and love our church and have bumper stickers and have a new website. That's not why God's done this. He's done it so that we would be overwhelmed and filled with joy and filled with worship and filled with mission because He saved us from our sin. That's what God wants. That's why Jesus came. And what haunts me is the idea of some of us going through the motions of life, being contented that our kids got good grades and a good ACT score and had a good batting average and I didn't have to pay too much for college and missing the point of Jesus. Because all of our suburban mess distracts us from what matters. And that haunts me. So I'm praying that this week might actually be Holy for you. The word holy simply means set apart for God. Set apart to be different. And so I'm praying that this week might actually be holy in such a way that we're all forever changed. That's what I'm praying for. And this passage, which Katie just read for us, is going to help us go there. So let's go to the deep end and let's meet with the Lord and let's see what he'll do today. Here's the main point of this message. The blessings of God flow through the Son of God at great cost to God. The blessings of God, you could say our salvation, flows through the Son of God. His name is Jesus at great cost to God. Jesus bore our sin. So, so some of you maybe only want to listen for a few seconds. So let me, try to, let me try to encapsulate this. Think of the ugliest thing that you've done this week. That ugly, wretched, old man in you stuff this week that you wish would just go away. You know what I'm talking about? Think about that. There's two truths that Isaiah has for us. Number one, it was that that sent Jesus to the cross. Jesus had to die because of that. 
that we're all equally guilty. But here's the second truth. Jesus took what that ugly sin deserved so that you don't have to. And he gave you his righteousness. Friends, that's the gospel. That's our message. And this passage shows us how much God hates sin and how much God loves his people. And I want you to be ravaged by that today because that is where our joy and our strength and our energy for Christ come from. So if you're a note taker, I'm going to see if I can prove this to you from the scripture. The first point is the coming servant. The coming servant. Look at verse 13 of chapter 52. It begins with the word behold. And that word is intended to be emphatic. It should have an exclamation point after it. If this was a Spanish Bible, it should have an upside-down exclamation point, followed by the word behold, followed by another exclamation point. The word is intended to stop you in your tracks. Most of us just go, okay, behold. But it's intended to capture us. I'm telling you something important. Behold. Behold what? My servant shall act wisely. So God is saying, stop, look, and listen to my servant. That's what he's saying here. And everything that flows through the rest of what was read for us is about the servant. It's what we're supposed to stop and see and stop and hear and stop and believe. And I'm just appealing to you to stop and look and listen. Put down the rat race and put down the grind and stop and look to Jesus, the servant. I guess I should have saved that for the end for some dramatic unveiling. But Jesus is the servant. We'll get there. But God's saying through Isaiah, stop and look to my servant. So so if we think about history and we think about Bible history and we think about the history of the Scripture leading up to Isaiah, we're told that God created the heavens and the earth. The one true God. Many false gods were being worshipped. And God came to a man named Abraham and he said, Abraham, I'm going to send you to a new land. And through you, I'm going to make you a great nation. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. So God gave this promise to a man, Abraham, to make a great nation through which all the, the ends nations and the ends of the earth would be blessed. Okay, so you have this promise. And then the people, they kind of fumble along and, and God keeps, stays faithful to them. They fumble along. They find themselves in bondage in Egypt. This was last week's sermon. And God delivered them out of bondage in Egypt. The event that we call the Passover. He delivers them. And He says, I'm going to keep all my promises to Abraham. But over time, the, the question begins to arise. How is God going to keep all His promises to Abraham? How is He going to... to Make Abraham a great nation, and through the nation, bless the ends of the earth. Every nation of the earth. And so the scripture begins to show us how God is going to bring this promise to pass. 
And what the scripture begins to show us is it's going to come through a very unique person. A very unique person. Moses, before he dies, says, look for the one like me who will come. David receives a promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7. One of your children will, will rise up. One of your offspring, one of your children's children's children will rise up and through him he will reign over all of my kingdom forever. So the idea begins to unfold in the scripture that there will be a special person from among the people of Israel, from among the line of David, through whom this promise to Abraham that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham's family is going to come through this person. And so in the book of Isaiah, this idea of a person who will deliver rises up. And Isaiah, by God's leadership, calls the person the servant. That's the phrase. So it shows up in Isaiah chapter 42, Isaiah chapter 49, Isaiah chapter 50, and Isaiah chapter 52. At great lengths, talking about the servant who is to come. And so, we, we have these Bible words like the Messiah, the Christ, the Chosen One, the Servant. They're all synonyms for the One who is to come and, and through Him, God's promises will be fulfilled and God's kingdom will be established. And that's what we see here. Keep reading. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. And again, we, we're, we're pretty quick to skip over that one. I know I have been until, until this week. But wise, act wisely, wisdom in the Scripture is knowing exactly what to do and how to accomplish it. So wisdom in the Scripture is knowing exactly what to do and how to accomplish it. And so God says, look at my servant. He will know exactly what to do and exactly how to accomplish it. Look to him. But what's he going to accomplish? He will be high and lifted up. He will be exalted. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which is not been told they shall see, and that which they have not heard they understand. So we're told that God's servant will come, he will know what to do, and he will accomplish his work, which will be to bring God's blessings to bear to God's people. This is the work of the servant. And so, the scriptures are drilling into us that the servant, the Messiah, the chosen one will be the one to come to bring God's blessings to God's people. So Isaiah is saying, look at the servant. And then in this passage, he's going to tell us something very important and very unique about the servant. And so that leads to our second point. The second point, the suffering servant. And the question that this point answers is, how will the servant accomplish his work? How will the servant accomplish his mission? What will he do? Now, now look up from your Bible for a minute. I don't rarely tell I very rarely tell you to do that, but, but look up for your Bible for a minute. Just try to think in a a very worldly, earthly. I don't ever tell you to do that either. This is just a strange day, okay? 
Try to think in a very earthly, worldly mindset here. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you, and the servant's going to come and do it. What, what type of leader are you expecting on your team? Strong, powerful, mighty, quick to action, quick to resolution, quick to get things done. Jim Collins might call him level five as a leader. But that's not what we get here. What we get is this gospel mystery of the work will be accomplished through his death. The work will be accomplished through his suffering. The work will be accomplished through bearing God's wrath for sin. Here's the thing. It won't be a mistake that God has to make up for. It's exactly how God intends to accomplish His salvation for His people for all time to keep His promise to Abraham. The servant will die for the people. So what happens in our passage Chapter 53, verses 1 through 3, talk about the servant coming and being born and growing up. Verses 4, 5, and 6 talk about his suffering. And verses 7, 8, and 9 tell us that he will die. He will die. Not only will he die, but his generation will reject him and kill him. I mean, do you get that? Hey, I got a promise for you. Your king's going to come and he's going to be such a good king that the people of his generation are going to kill him. It's encouraging to the soul, isn't it? Only if we understand what's really going on. So, so a nice synopsis of what the servant will do is in verses 10, 11, and 12. So let's look at those. Yet... It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. So what's going to happen to the servant is not an accident. It's not a mistake. And it's not a failure. It is God's plan. And when the Bible talks about the will of God, it's not referring to your tension about where you should go for lunch tomorrow and the prayers that you might choose to pray about that. That was a little bit funny. The Bible, when it talks about the will of God, is talking about what God has purposed and He will accomplish. Love Jesus and eat wherever you want to. But this is so important for us to get our minds around. The death of Jesus was God's plan from the beginning. Because the problem was never earthly persecution. The problem was never that Israel was in bondage. The problem was never that they had to bow the knee to Caesar or to Darius or to the Babylonians. That was always the symptom they were in captivity because they were disobedient to God and disobeyed His word and would not walk in His ways. 
Those things weren't the problem. They were the symptom. The problem was their evil, sinful hearts. And until their evil, sinful hearts were cleansed, there could be no deliverance. And the promises of God would not be fulfilled. So they didn't need a king. They needed a savior. They needed someone who would go to the heart level and cleanse their heart and make them pure. The servant will do that. It was the will of the Lord do so when his soul makes an offering for guilt he shall see his offspring he shall prolong his days the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. So look at that. Offering for guilt, bear their iniquities, account them righteous. So get this. What we're being told is that from the time of the Passover, which we preached about last week, all the way till when Jesus came, every year the people of Israel would slay a lamb for pleading God's mercy upon the people. And that lamb couldn't accomplish anything. Only God could. But it was their way of saying, God, we trust you to deliver us. And what we're being told here is that the servant becomes the lamb. What we're being told is the servant is the one who will die for the people. We're told that the servant will be righteous. The people are unrighteous. The servant will take their sin upon him and give them his right standing before God. The servant will do it. And we're told that when the servant does that, the blessing will come. We're told that when the servant does that, the salvation will be experienced. We're told that when the servant does that, all things will be made new. We don't need a new king. We need a savior. But when the savior comes, everything changes. That's what we're being told. Israel, look to the real problem where you will find the real solution. My servant will come. Now, friends, have you ever wondered what Jesus meant When he was on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Has that ever made you scratch your head? You know, my generation of young southern Christian people, we were kind of told, like, you don't question God, you just go with it, you know? And yet here's Jesus on the cross shouting where everybody can hear, bearing their dirty laundry, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever wondered why he would cry that? Isaiah 53 to me is the clearest picture in the Bible of what was going on on the cross, the agony that Jesus was carrying, where he would cry out. So what I want to do, because I think we've been so inoculated to the phrase, Jesus died for my sins. I want to reread verse 53. I want you to hear it through the lens of what Jesus was enduring in his whole life, but in finality on the cross for the sake of his people. Who has believed what he has heard from us? 
And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken. Smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastise that brought us peace, chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. God hates sin. This passage shows us how much. And God forgives sinners through his servant. And this passage shows us how eager and willing he is to do so. I want us to not be inoculated to the message of the cross, but I want us to experience anew what was taking place there. Our sin was placed upon the servant. The servant died because of our sin. And he gives his blessing and salvation and righteousness. Third point. Our suffering servant. The question I want to answer here is how do we respond to the servant? 
How do we respond to the servant? First, it would probably be important that we know who he is, right? Who is the servant? The message of the New Testament is that Jesus is the servant. You believe Isaiah 52 and 53 are true, you respond by looking to Jesus and no other. Brandy read for us earlier from Acts chapter 8. Did you guys get that connection? Because me and Dan worked really hard this week that you get that connection. You had an Ethiopian eunuch riding away from Jerusalem. Now let's not skip over that. Ethiopian, a Gentile, not a Jew. One of, a member of the nations. A eunuch, a spiritual outcast. He's in a chariot reading the scripture. And God sends Philip to him. And what was his question? What was his question? Who is the lamb who was led to the slaughter so that I can believe in him? That was his question. Now just stop there for a minute. God sends Philip to the man who is asking how to know his salvation. Philip, what does he do? He does just what we've done today, and probably way better than, than I ever could scratch the surface of. He goes to the scriptures, and he shows him that the servant is Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. And we're told that Philip, not Philip, I'm sorry, the eunuch, believes and is baptized and goes down the road a forever changed man. So we respond to the servant by first believing that Jesus is the servant and choosing to look to him alone and no one else. There is no replacement for Christ. Second, looking to Christ calls us to repent and believe. Now those are good churchy words, but let me explain them. Repent means to turn away from our sin. If our sin killed Jesus, then Jesus died to deliver us from it. So to repent is to turn away from it. And by turning away from it, to look to him and say, Jesus, I'm all in with you. I trust you and you alone to, to bring God's salvation to me. So here in the South... We talk about repenting and believing as entering the kingdom of God. We talk about repenting and believing as being converted. We might say that's how I got saved. It is, by the way. The only way to become a follower of Jesus is to repent and believe. The only way to be a Christian or to go to heaven when you die is to repent and believe in your sin and follow Jesus. But we don't get to leave repentance and belief at the altar of coming to Jesus. Repentance and belief are what worship is. Day by day and moment by moment, we get, we get the freedom to turn from our sin and look to Jesus and believe that it's gone and we're accepted.
whatever that ugliest thing that has characterized you this week, first of all, we need to see it. We don't have to be afraid to see it. I am a man who struggles with anger. The worst thing I can do is try to stick that under the rug and pretend that it's not true. If my sin is forgiven, if I'm accepted into the family of God, I can own up to it. So we get to see it and confess it and then turn away from it and say, but that's not who I am. I am a child of the King. I belong to God. My sins are forgiven. They are as far as the east is from the west. And when God looks on me, He sees the gentleness and the humility of Jesus. That'll change the next time you have a fight with your spouse. Christians repent and believe over and over and over because it's how we worship, it's how we grow, and it's how we follow Jesus. So we look to Jesus, we repent and believe, Third, we seek awe. We seek wonder. We seek to be overwhelmed by this. Christians, friends, we cannot allow ourselves to get bored with the gospel. The only way I know to get bored with the gospel is either to forget that you're a sinner Or to go looking for some other false replacement for Jesus. And that might not be a false God. It might just be contentment and happiness in your busy life. But we have to resolve to say, God hates sin this much. And God loves His people this much. I'm not going to get bored with the gospel. I'm going to go looking for awe and wonder in Jesus. Number three. All right, number four changed my numbers from the first service. Number four. We will drag others with us seeking awe. Do you remember the call to worship this morning that we read with Bill? Isaiah chapter 52 verse 9. In verses 1 through 9, God said, Israel, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to keep my promises. What should you do? Break forth together into singing. The Lord's comforted you. He's redeemed you. He's brought out His holy arm and all the nations are going to see the salvation that God's bringing you. So if the gospel's real for you, go seek in awe and draw somebody with you because we're called to do it together. So sure, this morning, that's why we sing. To be filled with awe in Jesus. But with our lives, in our friendships, in our networks, in our small groups, all of that is about obeying Isaiah 52, 9 together. Let us break forth into worship because God has redeemed His people. I know this is kind of becoming Bible drill, but Isaiah is really good, so I'm going to do a little bit more. Number five. If this stuff is true and Jesus really is the lamb who was led to the slaughter so that the sinful could be made righteous, let's go and tell. Let's go and tell. You know, I told you there are, are multiple of these servant passages in the book of Isaiah. They all tell different things about the servant. Hear this one. Isaiah 49 verse 6. It's too light a thing. Light means small. 
It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. You hear what God's saying there? It's too little for my servant just to make Israel holy. I just got kicked out of half the churches in America right there. But God said it. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. What God is saying is what Jesus is coming to do is so great. It's not just so religious people can get right with God. It's so those who are far from God, who are unclean, who are unaccepted, who are unwelcomed, who, who know of no hope can meet Jesus and be delivered. And if we take the gospel seriously, we will not be silent. And I can think of no better week to choose to not be silent. Because this is the easiest of all weeks to do evangelism. Can I tell you why? Everybody's looking for a place to go next Sunday anyway. You just need to direct their paths in the right way. That was a little bit funny too. So next Sunday is the highest attended church day in America. Hands down. But people who hate God want to be found in seersucker next Sunday sitting in a chair or a pew somewhere. Invite them. And I'll wear seersucker to make them feel comfortable, okay? I got the pants. I need a sports coat if anybody wants to help a brother out. Anyway, just kidding. But seriously, here's our promise to you. We will preach Jesus this week. We will invite people to Christ this week. We will make the path of salvation clear this week. Thursday night we have Passover Seder. That means we remember the Last Supper. We will make Jesus clear. Anybody who is brought here will hear the gospel and be invited into the kingdom of God. Friday night we're going to walk through the last day of Jesus where he dies on a cross. And by the way, just a little advertisement. Without the agony of Friday, the joy of Easter Sunday is empty. They go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. Come on Friday. It's just as important as Sunday. There you go. Tired, sleepy, dreary, hurting Saturday. And then next Sunday, we're going to rejoice like crazy because he's alive. He's alive. And we'll make Jesus clear, and we'll make the gospel clear, and your friends will be invited to him. I can't think of a better week to go and tell. Now, do not mishear that. I'm not saying this is the only week to go and tell. I'm saying I can't think of a better week. It could go just like this. Hey, friend. I was just wondering if you had a place to go to church next Sunday. I'd love for you to come with me to Redeemer. And then we're going to have a few people over, um, you know, like good Old Testament people and have some ham together. Um, Because we're free in Christ. But after church, we're going to have some people over and we're going to have, have a small meal together. Would you come to church with me and come hang out with my family for lunch? It's that simple. I think, I think people are eager to say yes. Because again, everybody's got to go somewhere on Sunday or you can't be a citizen of the South. I don't know, guys. The bottom line is the servant did this for us, 
And he did it so that we would be reconciled to God and we would worship God and we would walk in his ways and the nations would know God. So let's, 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 let's dive into that. Let's lean into that because that's what God wants from us.